Welcome to the Successful Women Rock Podcast Show, where we share insights, experiences, and resources that help women be ready to be unapologetic and unleash the full force and magnificence of who they are. Because successful women rock. Now here's your host, Rhonda Y. Williams. Hello out there. Hello, 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 everyone. I'm so excited to be back for another episode. Um, I want to welcome you to the Successful Women Rock podcast show. This is my fourth episode, so I'm super excited about that, right? We're just moving right along. And this episode is about managing money. It's not about your IQ. It's about your I do. So I am Rhonda Williams, uh, known as the Dream Life Coach. I am the founder of the Society of Successful Women and your host for the Successful Women Rock podcast show, where we want to give you the tools, tips, resources, and information. We want to give you everything that you need to rock your life. So I'm super excited about our show today. Today's show is powered by the Society of Successful Women, and we are an achievement-driven organization for women of influence. And what that means is we provide education, mentoring, coaching, strategies, um, resources, the things that you need in order to live and create your best life. So if you have a moment, go over and check us out at Successful Women at SocietyofSuccessfulWomen.com. So now let's just get into our show. I'm really excited about today's show, and I want to welcome today's guest to the show. Today's guest is Claire Dubay. So let me tell you how exciting and wonderful Ms. Claire is. Claire is a financial therapist and founder of Smart Chats, a financial conversation process for saving money and relationships together. She helps couples and business partners in money conflict go from chaos to clarity and connection. She helps clients create healthy financial behaviors by clearing a path to achieve a positive money mindset allowing them to obtain financial freedom and reach their financial goals. Claire's work and advice has been featured in Forbes, uh, in U.S. uh, News and World Report, Acorn, and in Yahoo Finance. And if you looked at the link earlier, you got to see some of the Yahoo Finance tips that she gave. When Claire is not working with clients or on stage, Chatting about money, you can find her sitting in one stadium or another watching the Boston Bruins hockey team. So, (laughs) hockey fan, huh? A little bit. All right. That's so awesome, Claire. I'm really excited to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Rhonda. I'm excited to be here tonight. I'm really excited about our topic tonight because um, everything that we do is focused on helping women be successful. And I like to call them the successful women. But it's really hard to be successful um, if, if, if your money is, is not right, right? Correct. If your money ain't right, then it's hard to keep it tight. Hey, <laughs> Ooh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> so for us, that's what really what we're all about. So we're going to dive in and talk about some of those factors and get some wonderful advice and guidance from you on how to make sure that we're on the right path financially. So I'd love to start by having you share a little bit about yourself with us, maybe a little bit about your journey and how you came to be in this place of of the financial wisdom that you have. 
Sure. So I, I'd like to start off that, uh, ironically, today is the first day of America Saves Week 2019. So you're starting off the whole week talking about money, which is perfect, because that's the whole point of, of America Saves Week. Awesome. Um, so little known thing is the American savings rate right now is at 6%. Mm. So that's a very, very low rate. And that's something that we need to be changing and turning around. Um, and having these money conversations hopefully will spark the idea of starting to really look at your finances, learn more about it, do some research, and let's bring that savings rate up. Wow. So uh, 6% is what, so overall, on average, you're saying Americans save about 6% of what they earn. Mm-hmm. So that would be the and yeah. how does that compare, Claire, to where, is that better or worse um, than in the past? So it's it's a little bit better than it had after the you know uh, 2007 2008 crash. So it has creeped up a little bit, but it's definitely lower than it has been in previous years. So um, you, you know the gurus and and professionals out there are always looking to at least be you know 15 20 percent that you should be saving and investing. So I think we're a little shy on that. Oh, wow. Okay. Absolutely. Well, I guess we all better get to work saving. Right? <laughs> and what better t- time to start? It's so interesting that this is um, the saving. What is it called? The saving week? So it's called America Saves Week. And it's every year at this time. Um, and it's t- really to promote that savings. And it's organizations coming together to help uh, individuals and families with budgeting and uh, attacking debt and setting them on the path for financial wellness. That's awesome because I was just having a conversation with my sons earlier about saving. And so, you know, we're, we all made a new pact uh, just this, just today, actually, it's really interesting um, about saving and our commitment to that. So um, it's a good time for us to be having this conversation. So, yeah. So tell us a little bit about you and, and the journey that you were on and how you got to be where you are. So uh, there was a point in time where if I was even saving 6%, that would have been uh, just an absolute miracle. So, uh, you know, I have been at a point where I had credit card debt. Um, At the time, it was about $3,000. And to me, that was, it it might as well have been $300,000. It seemed such a big number to me. Mm -hmm. um, And I didn't know how I was going to get out of it. And I didn't tell anybody, but I ended up going to a credit counselor to see, you know, what I could do. And I brought W-2s and forms with me and all the paperwork. And the gentleman I met with, it chuckled at me and he, and he did it in a very sincere way. You know, it was not a mocking and he, and he looked at me and he said, you don't need to be here. You can do this. You know, you need to just go read up some books, do a little research on finances, but you know, you can do this on your own. And probably one of the greatest pieces of advice that I had received and, and a gift that he really gave me because they could have taken my services, right. uh, but it empowered me to go and learn what I could. Mm-hmm. Ironically, all my jobs were in finance. So I started out as a bank teller. Um, then I worked as a bookkeeper in a fortune 500 company. So I did money, but I didn't do money. I knew nothing about it. So I could do the daily transactions, but I didn't have the whole concept about money and how to manage my everyday finances. Wow. And, and 
I love how you just stated that I, I, I did money, but I didn't do money. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, because I think that a lot of us are probably there where, you know, we have money all the time and money goes through our hands and we've got money in our accounts and all of this, but are we really doing money? Right. Mm -hmm. Are we really doing money in a way um, that it works for us? And so, um, so as you, as you found yourself that you did money, but you really didn't do money, what did, what, really sparked you? Was it that conversation about the bankruptcy that really said to you, you know what, I need to change this? Um, Well, I think it was having that kind of, let's say an aha moment in the fact that um, I was trying to keep up with the Joneses. Hmm. And um, little did I know that the Joneses, one side had AstroTurf and the other one had a whole maintenance crew maintaining. So, you know, grass looks greener, but it's a lot more work on that aspect. And when I really learned to uh, use our income and our expenses based on our values, our family values, instead of the neighbor's values, Mm -hmm. that's what was probably the biggest turnaround. Wow. So, you know, Claire... It's, I'm not sure that we make decisions for the most part around our money based on our values. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's a really important point. So let's just talk about that for a second, because how do you recommend to someone, most women that I talk to, most women that I coach, they don't have written values. They, they don't really think about them. They kind of very generally, well, you know, this is kind of who I am and this is what I value. So what would you recommend in terms of um, having people really decide what they should be spending their money on? Well, sometimes people, you know, get caught up in the word values. You know, what is a value? Um, one of the things I do, I have a list of them, but Quite frankly, you could just Google, you know, a list of values and look over that list and see what resonates with you. So if, you know, uh, family is is that education, do you value education? And uh, maybe it's travel. So what are some of the things that you do? And, you know, kind of circle a list and then narrow it down. Keep chopping until you come to your top three. And and understand that a lot of these values can be situational values. So what I mean by that is perhaps education is something that you value and you have young children. So you want to really put your money towards their education. Well, once they leave the nest, that education could continue if you have that value that you want it for grandchildren that you're going to save for. But if not, that's something that you're not going to do, then that value may change to something else. So perhaps that moves to travel because now you're an empty nester. Do you you get? Yeah, absolutely. So it's more situational. Correct. So and and some of them may continue through, but you're you're always kind of reviewing that where you are at this point in your life. Do those values still reign true? Mm -hmm. Um, But it's looking at what those top three are. And then the other thing is to do is it's little work, but it works in the long run. valuable, very, very valuable, is looking at your last 12 months of expenditures and putting them in categories and looking at which of those expenses matched your values. Mm. If you said your value was family, education, and travel, and you're spending money on leisurely things that don't match up to those, then you need to ask yourself why you're spending money on those. And those expenses that you can no longer use so that you could put that money towards those things you say you value 
Or maybe you need to question your values. Maybe those aren't really true to you. Right. So it's kind of doing that, that deep dive and looking at it to see what things match so that you do align your values and your expenditures. I, when I think um, about sort of the way that you're describing this work as really important work and, and sort of work where you really sit and have that honest conversation with yourself, um, I can see a lot of folks really um, trying to justify, right? Because you don't want to feel bad about what you did. You said that these are your values, but then you look back and you're like, oh, wow, I'm not really being true to these. So like you said, are the values um, the right ones or do they need to change? But in the meantime, I might be feeling a little bit defensive about that. Maybe I just really wanted to go on this trip and this vacation. Do So do you find that people struggle with that a little? They do. And the way that we go about that is you've heard that people talk about your needs versus your wants. Yes. Well, I look at it as needs versus needs. So one need is your need for shelter, for food, for clothing, you know, those basic needs that you need. Mm -hmm. And the other needs are the softer needs, which are your emotional needs. So maybe you did look back and you had that vacation. There's no need to feel guilty about that because it was probably filling a need of socialization or being around with your family or self-care, those needs need to be filled just as much as having a roof over your head. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They are real and they are true. And sometimes until you fill those, you know, you just have this little bit of emptiness um, inside. And so you coach, um, Claire, do you coach both men and women? Yes, I do. So um, mostly I see women in transition. Um, whether it's after a divorce, uh, a death, or just newly married, mm-hmm. um, and then couples, whether they're business partners or married, cohabitating, anytime there seems to be a conflict between two people. Okay. And, and so, and as you coach both men and women, do you find that there's a difference in the things that we get hung up on financially? Um, yes, but it isn't always defined as a male-female aspect. It's, it's personality. It's the money stories that we have growing up. Um, and, and these are the things that we have interpreted. So some lessons we've learned directly from parents or teachers or guardians that may say, you know, you need to turn the lights off to save energy, to save money. So that's a direct lesson. And there are other things that we see when maybe we've seen our parents fighting over money and we're broke, we don't have enough money. Um, And those are things that we internalize, but we interpret it. And we all interpret things a little bit differently. So I am one of four children raised by the same parents, same household, and not one of us handle money the same way. Because we've interpreted things differently. Um, In one aspect, I have older siblings, so they grew up five years apart from me. So at that time, my parents were building a business and they struggled. When my brother and my younger brother and I came around, my parents had kind of gotten more successful in their business. So we experienced a little bit different things than my older siblings. So we interpreted things also differently. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. So even in the same household, you can interpret things differently and handle money very differently. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as you as you 
sort of um, maybe back in your childhood, there was something that you saw or experienced mm-hmm. and that and that really stuck with you. And that became um, maybe without even re- recognizing it, it becomes a belief, mm-hmm. right? And this belief then impacts and, and as I work with and teach my clients, your beliefs manifest themselves every day in your speech, in your behavior, in your actions, right? So you don't necessarily have to tell me what your beliefs are. I can almost see what your beliefs are because you see them play out in your life. Are you tired of being held back by unrelenting judgment of others? Are you ready to build confidence and release the fear standing in the way of your purpose? At the Society of Successful Women, we have one goal, to help you achieve yours. Visit thesocietyofsuccessfulwomen.com to request your interview today. Now, back to the show. So how do, um, is there a way that you can work with um, women and clients to help them rewrite these beliefs and get new beliefs? Absolutely. So I'm going to use myself as an example, so I'll be completely transparent. So one of my beliefs was I was less than because of money. So I was in a family business. It was our family business um, with my brothers and my parents. And my brothers and I were equal partners on paper. So in any bank loans, we were equally responsible, equal partners. Our pay was different. Mm -hmm. So my older brother was paid, I don't really remember the amounts, we're just going to say 60,000. My younger brother was paid like 55 and I was paid 30. So there was this big gap. And the reasoning was my father had said it and he said, well, you have a husband to take care of you. So... I know what he was trying to do. He was trying to be equitable, equitable because my brothers had stay-at-home mother, uh, wives with the kids. So he was trying to feed them, get them food on the table. And by making it equitable, saying, okay, right now your husband can take care of you. So I, I really don't think he was doing it intentionally. Right. But I was taking it as being less than and needing somebody to take care of me. So those are the kind of stories I had. Um, But it took a while for me, as I said, as I became and looked at things empathetically and tried to understand where my father was coming from, that it wasn't about me at all. It wasn't about my abilities. He was just looking at it as putting food on the table. Mm -hmm. But so it's, it's things like that to question your stories also. So if you say that you're not good with money, you know, I, I'm terrible with money. I don't know how to handle it. I will always ask them questions about, you know, tell me some of your money transactions in the past. You know, did you have a car? Yep. Did you take a loan? Yes. Did you pay it off? I did, but it took me a long time. But you paid it off. So, you know, you do know how to handle money. So it's that questioning yourself. What is the evidence? So when you tell me your negative story, You need to tell me what the evidence is that backs it up. Mm. And when you can't find the evidence, then we know that that story really isn't true. I love that. I Mm. love looking for evidence because so many times um, we don't need evidence, right? I believe what I believe just because I believe it. And I don't expect anyone to question that because it's my belief, right? (laughs) And so as as you think about really challenging your beliefs, Um, It is a challenge. And sometimes that's hard, right? Because you really deep down inside think that you have a reason for these beliefs. Um, And so the other thing that I heard you say uh, in terms of rewriting your beliefs is to reframe the situation, Mm -hmm. right? To look at it 
choose a different view to look at it through. So I, I, I tell my clients that there's always two ways to look at something. There's the negative view and the positive view. It doesn't matter if you think that the negative view is the right and accurate one. What happens if you choose to look at it through the positive view, right? Mm-hmm. That positive lens, it changes things. So, so I think that's great when you are thinking about, I hadn't really thought about it in terms of money and mm-hmm. really helping yourself be better with money. Because if I say, I know a lot of people that say I'm terrible with money and, and they make statements like, oh, I can't save. I can never save anything. But if you keep telling yourself that, Right. Right. Then you're right. Still writing the story. And the other thing is watch your words. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you were saying that people say that, you know, I can never save money. Well, never is a really strong word. Yes. And, and how often does never actually exist? Always, never. You know, those are pretty strong words. So even though we say them without really thinking, Mm-hmm. They are, our mind is picking that up. You know, that behavior is picking that up. So it's watch your words too. really look at what you're saying and challenge it. Always challenge it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's something that uh, is another part of us that's very unconscious, right? We just talk the way we talk and we don't necessarily take the time to process every word that we're saying, and we may not even recognize that it's hurting us or it's really not uh, hurting is too strong a word. I think, I think it's not serving us well, right? Words that we're using are not really serving us well. So when we think about sort of where women are today and sort of the evolution of women in the workplace, and I think about quite a a few years ago, I wrote a chapter for women on um, permission to pamper. Mm-hmm. And in that chapter, we really talked about sort of the evolution of a woman being in the home and all, all that that meant, right? Being a stay-at-home right. person and then evolving into the workforce and then sort of being part-time in the home and then continuing, though, to take one more and more and more in the workforce. And all of a sudden, now we're full-time in the workforce, but we're not giving up anything at home. Right. So my question for you is, as we've evolved in this workforce and this world as women, and become a different uh, part of society, I think. How uh, have we come that far financially in terms of our independence, or are we still stuck in the dark ages? <laughs> what do well, you luckily we're not in the dark ages. So, <laughs> um, actually, I have to say in the dark ages, women were probably more financially empowered, to be honest with you. I mean, um, you know, back in Cleopatra's time, then she could own land, she could own assets. Right. Uh, then you fast forward and you come to America in its 1700s and a woman could own land. So um, the back, you know, the past isn't so bad. It's the mid, I guess. That's it. <laughs> so we, we, we are advancing in change. I would say that. Um, is it a rapid? No. Um, lo- looking at things like um, 2018. Of the small businesses in the U.S., 26% were owned by women. Mm. So that was an 18% increase over 2017. Wow. So there's there's an increase. So that's that's very helpful. Um, and not too far back, I mean, we're talking about 1974 was the first time that women could get credit cards without having their husband be a cosigner. Are you serious? I'm, I am. It was. Yep. It actually was an act. In, in, that was signed off in 1974. So um, be, okay. prior to that, single women were not getting credit cards 
and a spouse could get it if her husband signed off. Wow, that's pretty yeah. powerful. So, <laughs> so we've come a long way. We're owning more businesses. We're uh, able to have our own credit cards now, right? Without uh, a man signing off on that. And we've come a long way, but it's probably now equally important that we really pay attention to the details around our finances right. and that we do that with intention, right? What is, what is your money intention or your money goal? Do you help women focus on that money goal? Yes. And, you know, some of the other things just statistic wise is that women now are 56% of the breadwinners in the family. Hmm. So that has taken a whole new turn on one, the dynamics of now being the breadwinner and, and balancing the emotions on significant others and how that affects. And is there a negative or positive effect and how do you broker that as well? So women take on a whole bunch of, of activities, you know, through the home, at work, um, and a lot to balance. And so manage the money in that aspect is driven by emotions. Um, so it's acknowledging those emotions. It's acknowledging the goals that you want. And if you're in a relationship, the goals that you want jointly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the big focus. Do you find, um, Claire, that money is, um, in terms of relationships and conflict, do you find that money is usually in there somewhere? I mean, outside of the other big ones, right, infidelity and those sorts of things, do you find that money plays a pretty huge role in terms of relationship conflict? It is what is spoken that that is the conflict, that it's money. But money is never money, and it's always what is behind money. So what I mean by that is we all put a symbol in money. So money could mean um, power. It could mean freedom to some people. Money could mean um, entrapment or um, handcuffed in in a sense. So there are different symbols that we put with money. So the conflict is what we have put the meaning to money and how that differs with our significant other, and even sometimes with ourselves. Um, We can have that relationship with money be conflicted. Wow. So the goal for us in that case, if you are in that situation and you're really feeling like money is the root of this conflict, Mm -hmm. your real work is to get behind that, right? To really kind of go and dig underneath Um, Anytime I'm talking to clients about sort of uh, underneath, I I use the analogy of an onion, right? Like you're peeling off those layers and you got to get underneath to find out what's really there because it may not be what's um, what's presenting itself on the surface. Right. So one of the things that I do when I'm working with with couples is I will ask them, there's very little math. There's one math problem that I really ask. (laughs) And that problem is I want you to solve for nine. So I say you can add, subtract, divide, multiply, however you want to do it. But your answer has to come up with nine. So one of them may say, oh, 10 minus one is nine. And the other one says five plus four is nine. I say, great. So what happens is you came to the same result, but you approached it differently. And that's all with money as well. We all approach it differently. So when you're in a couple or business partner, you want to come to that same goal. And understand where the other person's coming from. So it's, it isn't as if the 10 minus 1 is wrong or 5 plus 4 is wrong. It's just their approach to it. 
So how do you acknowledge each other's approach to come to that solving for nine and understand that common goal? I love that because it's, gosh, I think it's the story of our life, right? We all approach everything differently based on our experiences and our beliefs. And we, we sometimes have this tendency to want to be right, right? Or no, no, my way is right. Because you know what, this is what I believe. And this is what I've done. And this is what I've seen. And so my way is right. But gosh, you know, imagine if there's lots of rights, right? And it's okay to just respect um, where the other person's coming from, and then figure out how to, to bring that together, right? Mm-hmm. So that, you, as you said, you get to the right outcome. So I think I think that's pretty cool to just um, acknowledge that you're all in different places, and that's okay. If he likes to spend more, or you like to spend more, that's okay. That might be who you are. Let's just focus on the goals and the values that you set, and you know what can we do to come together to the ultimate result. Right. And one of the things that you also want to keep in mind is that your money, your net worth is separate from your self-worth. So, you know, you have to have those conversations as well. And, you know, understand they are just two very different things, especially women in business. You know, they seem to tie, generally speaking, their self-worth and their net worth. So if they don't have a very big bank account in their business account, they're feeling less than. And you really need to separate the two because one has to do with you and your value. And the other one's just assets minus liabilities. You know, those are tangible things. And you need to really understand that you are a valuable person, whether you have a penny in the bank or you have a million dollars in the bank, your self-worth, you are a worthwhile person. Wow. That, that's almost like we could start a whole nother show topic. Just just on self-worth because it's, it's, you know, how we tie it to money, how we tie it to our self-image and how we look or, you know, what our hair is like or what people think of us or the title that we have at the job and all of these things that we tie that sort of weight us down that don't allow us to just soar to be the wonderful, beautiful, amazing people that we were, we were meant to be. Yeah. Well, how many times have you heard the statement from media and books and such that says, get paid what you're worth? Well, I mean, how do you put a dollar <laughs> amount on your, your personal value. I mean, it is, it's get paid what your content, what your value that you're sharing with your clients and or customers. That's what you should be getting paid for. Not you as a person, but the content that you deliver. Right, right. No, it's a, it's a really good point because we do see that um, all the time and we hear that, right? Get paid what you're worth. But that would be a lot. And so yeah. I, <laughs> I don't really think any company is going to want to pay me that, right? <laughs> I, I mean, we should just come to terms with that. But know that there is a dollar amount that you can put on your level of experience that you bring, what you're co- contributing to the team, those mm-hmm. sorts of things. But it has nothing, as you said, to do with your self-worth. That's right. different. Then the other thing is, it isn't with your self-worth, but it's also, it doesn't have anything to do with your IQ. You know, we talked about that earlier. And and people say, you know, I'm not smart enough to invest. You know, I'm not smart enough to handle my money. Right. Well, you know, I know nothing about my money. So some of the things that, you know, it's like driving a car. I mean, do yes. you drive? Do yes. You, do you, so do you know what the carburetor does in your car or the pistons? I know it needs to be there and I know it needs to work. 
but you still get in the car and drive. I do. I do. <laughs> so just because you don't know the details of the car and how it works doesn't prevent you from getting in there and going from point A to point B. And with your finances, it's the same thing. So it's just getting yourself in from point A to point B, and then you can learn more about financial vehicles. But it's it's the action steps that you take. It's it's what you do with your transactions. Nothing with having to be intelligent or smart. Have a question or comment for Rhonda? She'd love to hear from you. You can text Rhonda personally at 469-304-9970. And now back to our show. Well, you know, I think you're touching on some of the the hidden fears um, um, that we have. And they don't come out as fears. You just make statements like, oh, I don't know anything about that, right? Mm -hmm. Um, or you make all of these other sort of um, statements, sort of declaratory statements that at the end of the day, they're hiding um, some sort of fear or you or you fear. What, what do you do, Claire, with folks that hesitate to really get out there because they are fearful of losing their money? Right. So, I mean. That's possible. I mean, it, it, you you do take risks. And I think that's the thing. You need to start talking about managing your risk. Let's talk about it. Let's. Uh, sometimes this is where we need to put the data. So um, if you don't invest because of inflation, you will lose money. So that's a guarantee. So if you stick your money in your mattress, you're losing it. You think it's there, but you're losing that value. So there is that understanding about what you need to do to at least stay equalized, if nothing else. And you also have to look at the fact of if you stop working, mm-hmm. you still have to pay the bills. And those are the bills that you're paying right now with income. So how are you doing it without income? So kind of looking at that aspect. Um, we also talk about something that is relatable. So when I say that it's, you know, I'll ask, do you recycle? Yes. Well, why do you recycle? Well, I'm saving the earth. Well, do you think the earth is going to collapse while you're alive? Nope. (laughs) But you're doing it for the future benefit, right? Yes. That's what investing is. You're doing it for that future investment. So we'll also talk about a different strategy of of using different words. So uh, if investment sounds scary to you or savings sounds scary, call it future spending because that's what it is. You're just putting money aside to spend later in life. Mm. So if, if you're afraid of that word save, change it to spend and just add future ahead of it. Um, but you have to walk through the fears depending on what it is that they are fearful of. Did their parents lose money? Were they risky investments? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, people invested with Bernie Madoff and they were very intelligent, smart people. They were college professors, CPAs, um, owners of professional sports uh, teams. I mean, th- these were smart people and they made some really risky investments because they wanted to feel like they were in this special club. So it was ego driven. So when you look at those aspects about what are you afraid of uh, losing and are you making risky moves? Let's see what we can do. That is a low tolerance risk and build up from there. So once you've, you've achieved, maybe it's savings bonds and you feel comfortable with that. And then you move on to something else. Maybe it's a couple of mutual funds. You know, just, just doing few steps to, until you get that comfort level. 
I love it. I think it's awesome. And, uh, you know, uh, words are powerful. Mm -hmm. Words are powerful. And there's something that it triggers in our psyche. It causes us to think differently. When we reframe, we use these different words. um, And it can really help, I think, put us on a different path. And it's so interesting that you can just use a different word for the same thing, but you feel completely different about it. Yeah, it's it's really, it's something that's very interesting to me. So, um, what, what do you think are some of the, um, we've been talking about some of this as we've gone along, but the, the taboos around money, mm-hmm. you know, and, and are they, I don't think that they're different for men. I think, as you said earlier, it's really dependent on a lot of different characteristics, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. But how do we as women sort of really get around some of those taboos? Well, first of all, listening to podcasts and shows like you're doing. I mean, it really is, you know, listening, reading, and talking about it. So having conversations with friends or somebody that you feel safe with to start off those conversations. Um, Because the more you start talking about it and sharing it, you'll find that people are in the same situation as you are, or maybe they were and can help you get out of that and go to the next level. So it's having these conversations bit by bit, but educating ourselves by listening to podcasts and reading books. And, And that starts breaking the cycle because the more you hear it, the more you can share it. Mm -hmm. So you can begin to basically educate yourself out of whatever that is that's holding you back, right? Mm -hmm. And just by being exposed to um, different concepts in the podcast or the books or those sorts of things, um, it really can begin to shift your mindset and give you a way to think about things just a little bit differently. And then you start doing what you referenced earlier and challenging those beliefs, right? So, wow, I heard this, but I always thought this. And so now you can start sort of banging up on that belief to see if it's worth, you know, changing it and accepting a new belief. Right. And and those are, I think, really important activities and exercises for us to go through. But as you as I'm thinking about you sort of being the money expert, one of the things I'm super intrigued about is what you do around smart chats. (laughs) Tell us a little bit about smart chats and and what it is and, and, you know, how that relates to this financial journey. Mm -hmm. So smart chat, smart stands for saving money and relationships together because money touches everything. And, you know, quite frankly, you can't divorce your money. So you better get a handle around it at some point, especially if you're in a relationship that is maybe going through some chaos and, you know, there's a possibility of divorce and it's revolving around money, well, guess what? You're going to have to deal with it. And in fact, the courts are going to make you deal with it. So um, it's better to go up front and and kind of iron out those differences up front. So that's what we talk about with the saving money and relationships together. And, And the process is understanding that you are going to have conversations where you really hear. And what I mean here is being honest, empathetic, Mm-hmm. You want to be also accountable mm-hmm. and you want to be respectful. So when I see you want to be open and honest with each other, you know, being vulnerable and it, and it's really just feeling that you can share the information. Right. Um, and when I see empathetic, it's, it's understanding that we all come from a different background and we see things through a completely different lens. Nobody sees things the same way. Right. And that our perceptions are our truths. Right. 
So they may not be truthful, Mm -hmm. but they are our truth. So come through an understanding of where the other person is coming from so that you're not doing any shaming or blaming. And when I talk about being accountable, it's because you want to be accountable for the words that you use, those nevers, those always, you know, those words that we always talk about. And I just said it now. <laughs> and, and, and being respectful. So if a conversation that you are having uh, around money is getting a little heated and, and it starts doing some shame and blame, you need to stop and step away so that you can be respectful of each other. Right. So that's what I mean by you sit and you hear. Um, and through the smart chats, the couples always need to start off with sharing with each other something about when you first met, what attracted you to each yeah. other, so that you're always coming back to a common ground of what brought you together in the first place. And it's kind of hard to argue when you're starting to talk about those feelings of, you know, when you first met and the butterflies and such. Mm -hmm. So it keeps you grounded in that aspect. I love that. That's awesome. Saving money and relationships together. Mm -hmm. Very cool. And, and, um, and it also sounds like um, what's really important in terms of those smart chats are, um, to be sort of judgment-free, right? To have a judgment-free zone because it's hard to be respectful and open and honest and empathetic if you're being judgmental. And Correct. sometimes we don't even know that we're judging. Uh, but sometimes I tell clients to look at your use, uh, your words that you're using, if you're using words like you should, right? That's yeah. a clear sign that you're in a judgment zone and, you know, we should back away. And even like you said, well, you always do this, right? Mm -hmm. And those are, are trigger words that indicate that there's some judgment going there. So um, I think that that's awesome around those smart chats. And do you do those smart chats with clients uh, in person, over the phone, uh, conference? How do you have smart chats? So um, generally speaking, it's, it's Zoom, it's, it's, it's virtual, um, but I do them virtually in the aspect because I want to be able to see each individual and watch the body language. Because sometimes we say something, but we're not showing it in the same way from eye rolling or mm -hmm. some twitches or looking in a different direction. So that's why I like the, the virtual aspect and also in my office. But generally speaking, because clients are all over, it's, it's all done virtually. So you're telling me that if I'm sitting there with my arms crossed going, yeah, sure, I believe what she says. <laughs> you're thinking, yeah, not so much, right? right. And, if, and if we're just doing that on a conference call, it's hard to put those pieces together. So that's why I like the, the body language. No, that's awesome. Well, I'm going to uh, ask uh, uh, that, you know, before we move to wrapping up, I want you to share with us three takeaways. What are three takeaways that you would like someone listening to this? Maybe someone is hearing this and really are intrigued or touched by the conversation, inspired. What are three takeaways um, that you would like them to walk away from this conversation with? So from things that we have spoken through uh, this evening is one of them is really to understand the separation of net worth and, and your self-worth. Because it, sometimes you have to hear it a couple of times to understand that they are really separate entities. Um, and to not compare yourself to others. Um, because let's face it, a teacher who's making, you know, never the, quite the pay that they should be doing versus a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. You know, are you going to tell me that the teacher is less valued? Their, their self-worth is less? Of course not. 
It's the teacher that taught the CEO anyway. So to really understand that they are two separate entities and what's in your bank account does not say anything about you as a person. Mm-hmm. The other one is that it really, as we said before, it isn't about your IQ, but the action steps that you take. So you, so you need to be mindful of your money um, and keep it in line with your values. And then the other takeaway, I'd also say, when, when you are making any kind of financial transactions, stop and ask yourself some questions. So is it something that you already have and don't really need? Or is it something that you can borrow because it's a one-time use? So you can just borrow from a neighbor or a friend. Um, is it something that you can wait until it's a better price? So questioning yourself, kind of stop for a moment before making purchases. Now, I don't mean to do this with every single purchase of groceries in your cart. Sure. So sometimes you need to do that. But, but just be mindful of the reason that you're buying things. And is there another option before you spend that money? Mm-hmm. Those are awesome takeaways. And um, it's so interesting because I'm putting together um, as uh, based on my conversations with wonderful women like you and, and people out there that are willing to share their knowledge and wisdom, I'll be putting together um, an ebook on the three takeaways. And so each expert will have a little excerpt in there um, on the three takeaways because I feel like this that small summary is so valuable. Right? Mm-hmm. If you get nothing else from this conversation, take those keys away and just figure out, if, is there one or two that you can begin to apply to your life? So I love that. So um, so how can someone get a hold of you if they want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about Smart Chats? How would they reach you? So either through my website, which is clairedubay.com, um, email, which is claire at clairedubay.com, um, even on Facebook, you know, but the Direct conversations can come right through email and um, even just pick up the phone and give me a call. That's awesome. That's awesome. Well, thank you. I've got notes. And in case you hadn't noticed, like I am a note taker because <laughs> I, I love these conversations and I take my little tidbits away. So I've got a ton of notes here and I hope that anyone out there watching the show today also has the same because I think that these were awesome tips. So um, Claire, thank you so much for being here. Oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for sharing and letting me share my tips, tools, too. Awesome. And so, you know, as we think about it, think about where you are in your life at this moment. Is there one thing you can do? Is there two things you can do? Um, Remember, it doesn't take um, major, big, bold changes all at once. You can start with very, very small, tiny steps and still make significant progress in your life. So um, for everyone else out there, you all know what I say. It's really not about having the information that matters. It really is about what you do with the information. Mm-hmm. That's how we become successful women. That is how we rock our life. That is how we create the amazing lives that we want and deserve. So, Claire, thank you once again for joining us. Um, For all of you out there, thank you so much for tuning in. If you have questions or comments, don't hesitate to reach out to Claire. You can reach out to myself, and we would love to connect to you. So until next time, continue taking those little steps to live your most amazing life. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you, Rhonda. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to visit us on Facebook at Successful Women Rock to check out past shows and share show ideas. And remember to join our Successful Women Rock Facebook group. Until next time, continue all that you do to rock your life. See you on the next show.